everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside Beals and Senate, part of the Senate Channel Podcast Network. As always, have on with me my co-host and Hall of Famer, Steve Flink. Steve, we skipped a week. Um, we got some stuff that we want to hit on quickly. That's important. And then obviously we got the early stuff uh, with Indian Wells. You ready to roll? I certainly am. Yeah, we didn't um, we didn't acknowledge. I think we skipped the week of Acapulco. Um, apologies to our listeners for that. But obviously, we wanted to acknowledge um, Novak's record. Uh, most uh, most weeks at number one, beating Steffi Graf. Just the people that Novak would have to surpass to get to that record is uh, is quite a, uh, quite a remarkable accomplishment. We know he still can't play Indian Wells. Miami's up next. It's probably looking too soon for that. I think we all think it's kind of ridiculous at this point. All of us tennis fans wanted to play these events. Hopefully, by the summer. U.S. swing, uh, this can all get taken care of. Steve, you're on point with all that? Yeah, I mean, listen, it, 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 wait a minute, clarify, on point. Oh, yeah, you're, you're in agreement with me. You're in agreement with me on all that. Oh, yeah, no, I am, I am. Look, first of all, it's, as far as Novak is concerned, uh, you know, he's, he's targeted a lot of records. I don't think that a long while back that he was thinking about most weeks, and when he closed in on it, I think it obviously meant a lot to him. It's it's a it's it just shows incredible long term excellence on his part, you know. To to, to to he he now has a shot to maybe make it to 400 weeks if if he can keep this going. It's hard to say. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz could pass him by winning here at Indian Wells, but I think Novak's gonna that could go back and forth, or he could hold it for a while. And I, is it as important as finish, finishing seven years at number one? I'd say the year-end finishes are maybe even slightly more important, but it's all part of his historical legacy, along with the 22 majors, along with winning every Masters 1000 event at least twice. It's just a, it's an extraordinary record. And now he's just, I, I wouldn't call this icing on the cake. I think he, he will look back on this one and be very proud of it for, for what it showed about his ability to play at the highest levels of the game for an incredibly long time. And not only does he have to surpass everyone historically to win that record, he played in an era with two of the best players of all no. time. It's not like he no. was alone by himself for 10, 15 years dominating no. everything. No, not only that, but obviously he, he was for so long, number three behind Roger and Rafa and then Rafa and Roger reversing. And, it was pretty hard to surpass them. He finally did that in, in 2011. That, that was his first really sort of signature season when he won three majors that year. And, and then look what he's done since. It's just remarkable. Well, let's, like I said, uh, to the end of my thoughts, let's hope this all gets taken care of. And if he can't play Miami, at least let's, you know, have him uh, back in the U S for the summer hardcore swing. Yeah. I listen, if that was, it was bad luck. I, I think bad luck in this, it, because it, obviously he knew last year, he needed some luck to get into the U S open last year and didn't get it. Didn't get it. This time it looked more possible because they're going to change the rule on vaccines in May and May 10 or May 11 is when anybody will be able to come in without the vaccine. So the, the idea this time was, couldn't you let me in just a little early under these circumstances to play two very important tournaments? It didn't work out. I don't think it's going to work out for Miami, despite some politicians trying to step in on his behalf. But the good news for Novak, by the way, David, I will add this. He he had not lost before Medvedev beat him in Dubai in the semis. So he's played three tournaments and he won two, got to the semis. The other. That's a lot of matches. 
So I don't think he's going to, it's going to hurt him. Last year, he was hurt a lot in the early part of the season because he couldn't play in Australia. The whole big mess with not, with going to the detention center and not playing the Australian and the season got started so late this time he's got three tournaments under his belt already. And so he can use this time to really prepare, uh, prepare, seriously prepare for the whole clay court campaign. Yeah come into Monte Carlo really ready on the clay, perhaps a little bit more acclimated than some of the other guys. So there is a bright side to, to that, and he'll, he'll benefit from that extra training on clay. I agree with those thoughts. Okay, let's talk about the, the players that are actually uh, competing right now, Indian Wells, first, uh, first part of the Sunshine Double. Let's just start with Andy Murray, okay? So his first-round match over Echeverry, 6-4 in the third, <laughs> caresses a sweet half volley to get to a match point finishes with an ace match over three hours of course right as andy but but breaking news andy murray's second round match only an hour and 41 minutes have not been able to say that uh, a lot in the past couple of years andy murray threw in the third round and if he gets through his third round match a potential fourth round match with carlos Alcaraz. Yeah, I mean, I think that whets the appetite. I, I hope it happens. I, I can't see him beating Carlos at this stage the way he managed to do a couple of years ago, but uh, it, it's, it's been a nice run, Brandon. He, he re- it's really going to be important that he wins that. He better not get in another marathon three-setter and, and come into the Carlos match having gone seven, six, and a third, three hours. But that's the issue he's had, right, in all his yeah. tournaments. Oh, he we spends about- just way too much energy in the early rounds. No doubt. And we've talked about it uh, on a multitude of occasions. But right now, I mean, again, he's got to he's got to try to get through this next one and come in physically uh, fresh for any to have any chance against Carlos. But I I think the fans would love to see it. And that's the kind of match that he he thirsts for it, Andy. Not not that he's arrogant or that he necessarily thinks he's better than Carlos, but he likes the challenge and the fans. And he's now become one of the most most far more popular than he ever was, even when he was in his prime, because there's so much admiration for his resilience and his durability. So I hope we get that matchup. I think it'd be a fan's delight. You, myself, and a bunch of, uh, and almost all the tennis fans hope we get that matchup. Um, a, a match that I texted you about to keep your eye on, um, you know, I'm a big college tennis fan, Peyton Stearns versus Bianca Andreescu. Um, Bianca, I mean, we all know how good she is. You remember the 2019 U.S. Open. Just a multitude of injuries have prevented her from continuing on that path. You know Bianca's talent. You know how good she is. Peyton, 2022 NCAA champ out of the University of Texas. I told you, Steve, um, before the match, I said, take an eye. You know, make sure you you take a look at this match. I want to hear your thoughts on Peyton. Went three sets. She tired early, and, and the errors crept up early in that third set. But uh, Peyton gave Bianca all she could handle for quite a while there. Oh, did she ever? And and uh, I'm glad you tipped me off on that match. I had never seen her play before, and I was very impressed because for a long while before the weariness set in, she was going toe-to-toe with Bianca. She was really testing her. Bianca couldn't hit through her, and she couldn't really overpower that easily. She had to mix it up and throw in slice backhands and show a lot of guile, which she did. But uh, it, it, it's the kind of win that maybe could propel Bianca now because she needed it. You could tell. We, you and I were comparing notes early in the third set as well on text, and you could see how badly uh, Andrescu wanted that win. 
And not well, you know, first, it's interesting. Not Steve. personal grievance. Not that she disliked her opponent. Just she no. needs to start winning again. I mean, the play, the way she played at the 2019 U.S. Open to beat Serena Williams in the final and win her first major, and she played well that whole year despite injuries that year. It's been a very difficult stretch ever since, and we haven't seen very frequently the best of Andrescu. I hope we will now see her healthy and confident and get back. She belongs, in my view, she belongs in the top five in the world if she's if she's physically right. She should rarely venture outside the top five in the world. No argument for me, and it's interesting, and, I, and, and it took me yesterday to kind of um, recollect my thoughts on, on watching her previous matches. She changes the pace up a lot with these higher moon balls that you don't see a lot um, from the players now. And I think that helped um, giving Peyton just kind of a change of pace and not giving Peyton a lot of pace, which she seemed to thrive on. Um, Bianca throws that high looping ball um, quite a bit in her matches. And I thought it was a, a, a good strategy just to throw Peyton's timing off a little bit. No, that and, and some back end slices too. It's a, you know, she knew, she knew she was going to have to mix it up and, and that, that I, 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 I'm very interested to see if she can start now make a run in this tournament, at least get to the latter stages and start re-emerging. Well, let me throw this out to you just because you said that thought. You know her next opponent is Iga Sviatek, so she has quite a test in the third round. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't I, – I, I may be jumping the gun a little bit, but look, she can – obviously the odds are, are stacked against her in that match. Uh, but she also can, she's good enough if she's physically there to test Iga. This is not going to be one of these Iga six love, six love, or six love, six one matches. She can keep it tight. She can really test her to the help from the backcourt. So uh, I, 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 I definitely see a, a close contest there. I'm a fan of Bianca's. I know you're a fan of Bianca's and I know a lot of tennis fans are, are, are fans of Bianca's. Let's just hope she can stay healthy. Cause like you said, um, she has a heck of a talent and she definitely belongs top 10, top five, uh, when, when healthy. Okay. Let's go to the men's side. Um, a trio of top players, um, have already lost and that's, um, Stefano Tsitsipas, seven, six in the third to, um, Ozzy Jordan Thompson complaining about the shoulder. Matteo Berrettini also lost. And then Denis Shapovalov, who I, who I really want to kind of pick your brain on. He lost on Friday, um, 14 double faults in a two set loss from Dennis. And, you know, uh, you and I have, have, have kind of communicated a little bit about Dennis in the past. We've seen him at, at, at tournaments. And for me, it's not a lack of uh, work ethic. He can get he gets on site when his schedule allows early. I've seen him practicing not once, not twice, but even three times and working on specific things. Steve, he works really hard, but the inconsistency of results. Um, wanted to pick your brain and, and and hear what you have to say about Dennis. Now, sometimes you you can get in the way of your own talent, which is what I think he's done frequently. I, I look back; I, there was a, a great Dutch player in the in the nineteen seventies, Betty Stoba. And Betty was a finalist at Wimbledon, lost to Virginia Wade in 77, great doubles player who coached Hannah Manlikova, mm -hmm. who was an enormous talent. And Hannah yeah. had, had everything. She had every shot in the book. But the problem was always the shot selection, too many options. And Betty would compare it to somebody going into a Baskin Robbins ice cream with 31 flavors. Which one do you select? Which shot does Hannah select? I think that's one of Dennis's problems is he has, he's got the entire kit. He's got such versatility in his game, such gifts off both sides. And he could come in and he's a left-hander. He's got a great serve. And, 
but sometimes he gets in his own way by maybe not making the sensible choice and not making the percentage play. I, I have to believe that's what's going on. I'll never forget in tw- when he got to the semis of Wimbledon in 2021 and lost it straight sets to Djokovic, but he served for the first set and the second set was also tight and Djokovic went up to him in the locker room afterwards to console him, but also let him know how good he thought he was. And, uh, and Dennis was very appreciative of that, but we, we haven't seen the next move since then really the way we expected. That was supposedly going to set the stage for something. And he'd already been around for years. He'd beaten Rafa at the Canadian years before that. Right, was he like 17 years old when that 17 happened? 17 years old, and he beats Rafa in a tight three-setter in Canada. And Dennis should be doing better than he is. There's no doubt about it. And you're right. It's not work ethic. To me, it's shot selection and, you know, and, and staying calm under duress in these in these tight matches. And he's he plays so well and not really in this defeat, but in as you mentioned, the 14 doubles. But in a lot of these losses, He's actually can play some sporadically brilliant tennis, but it's yes. not it's not consistent enough. And I, I hope one of these days he can put that together because he should be in the you know, we should see Dennis in the top 10, maybe not quite as high as Felix, but they belong there together. They came up together. He's a great talent, as is Felix. And I, I hope I hope the uh, I hope the rest of the year will, will, will go better for him. I, I've been frustrated for him as many have, that he's not really cashing in on his ability. That's good. To, that's, that's good to hear your thoughts, Steve. I was interested to hear what you, uh, what you thought of Dennis. I want to flip it back over to the female side. And I should say, um, apologies for not mentioning this at the outset. We're recording this on Sunday morning. We'll get this out most likely Sunday night. So um, yesterday, Saturday, it was good to see Emma Raducanu with a good win, um, beating Magda Lynette in straight sets. Emma, you know, I mean, it it was kind of expected the previous year that, you know, she may take her lumps just because everything happened so crazy and quick for her at the uh, 2021 U.S. Open. I'm still with with the pandemic and everything. I'm still trying to keep my years straight. But with with getting through qualifying in the main draw, not losing a set. I mean, that's just craziness. Um, You figured it'd be some ups and downs the following year, which obviously it it was. But to see her... um, playing well with a good win yesterday, maybe get some more consistent results out of, out of Emma going forward. I hope so. There seemed to be some kind of an issue with her wrist, but she played through it and, and won, and that was a very good win for her. And now she needs to start stringing those victories together. Uh, yeah, I, you, you're right. Inevitably, there were going to be some growing pains after that U.S. Open triumph. And as you alluded to, not losing a set in the qualifying or the main draw, 10 matches, you can do that. I, I, that that proves that it was not. You can't say it was freakish. On the other hand, she's had a lot of setbacks since, gone through a lot of coaches. I hope now now we're entering a more stable period for her and where she can start displaying more consistency. Uh, but it's, it's it was great to see that kind of a win yesterday, and I hope she can keep going in this draw and I, and and really right on through the clay court season. And then perhaps, you know, make a, a, a splash at Wimbledon where she's going to have all that obvious crowd support. Right. And OK, so now I want to flip it back to the men. A lot of people view this as the highlight match of yesterday, Saturday. Um, U.S. fans were definitely uh, very intrigued in this one. Taylor Fritz versus Ben Shelton. Uh, Fritz won in three. You look at Ben, he's got that lefty serve that's lethal, and he has that kick serve, which is something that is just 
unbelievable. It's different than a John Isner type of kick serve. John is a huge kick, but John is 6'10", 6'11". He has almost more of that spike and it just goes crazy. Ben doesn't have that size, but he has that lefty spin and that kick is just lethal. Talk about that match a little bit. Well, he was giving nightmare. He was giving Taylor nightmares with that kick. And that was an interesting match, though, David. It was actually very high quality, only three service breaks in the match. And it, it, Taylor had a 40 love lead at two all in the first set. And he let that, he, he's made a little bit of a careless forehand down the line error at 40 love. And the next thing you know, he's broken. That cost him the first set. Ben was terrific, though, at consolidating the break and exploiting that great lefty serve because his last three service games after the break, he lost one point in the last three service games and closed out that set confidently. But then, and he stayed with Taylor all the way to four all in the second set. It was getting pretty tense for the Fritz legion of fans out there. And he has many of them in California, but Taylor held on from 1530, served an ace at 1530 for all very big point, And then held on and broke in the next game. That was the first time he'd been able to break Shelton. And then the third set came down to one break again. It was a timely break for Taylor at 3-2 in the third, took him to 4-2, and he served out confidently from there. But it was a really high-quality tennis in the wind, by the way. The yes. wind was curling. Really Not different. like Carlos Rafa last year, but it was plenty bad. Oh, yeah. Oh, exactly. Windy. Nothing near Carlos Rafa, but still very difficult conditions. And considering the conditions, they both played ex- exceedingly good temps. And, and, I, and I think it was very encouraging for both guys that Taylor's protecting the title of the 1000 points is a lot of pressure on him because he'd like to stay in the top five where he is. And then you've got Shelton trying to, you know, who's pushed himself up to 41 in the world quarters of the Australian on this great run in 2023. And he wants to keep it going. That would have been a big win for him, but they, they had a nice moment at the net and big smile from Shelton and Shelton had nothing to be ashamed of. And he's showing that that was not, not a fluke what he did in Australia. And I'm now I'm, ex, I'm expecting more and more for him across the rest of 2023. Let me ask you this question. I'll also answer the question because it was interesting. I saw it on Twitter. I don't know if the question was, is this the next, like the very next U.S. player who wins a slam? Or is it just, is one of these players going to win a slam? So let's just leave it in general. Those two players, Fritz and Ben Shelton, will either of them Win a slam. I, I think Fritz will, and, I, and I'm pretty sure eventually, I would think Shelton eventually will. I'm not quite ready to sign the bottom line yet on Shelton. I want to see a little bit more, and he's so young. But Taylor has grown into his talent gradually, and we've seen it coming now for many years. And he got to the top five, not by accident, but by hard work and great results. So I, I do think somewhere, not necessarily this year, but somewhere in the next three years, it can happen for him. I'll reserve judgment on Shelton for now, yes. but I'm, I would say more likely than not that he eventually does it. Fair enough. I, I'll, um, again, I, I, Ben, you just got to give him plenty of time because he's just getting started. Um, I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And I would say no. And when you look at the slam, there's only four of these. Um, and, and Novak, when he's playing, it's going to be very, very tough. So you look at only four in a year, um, Novak's going to be playing for the next few years. It's just hard to pick maybe when he's gone. Um, there's a lot of other opportunities out there. There's starting to be some opportunities from some other guys. I hope I'm wrong. Let's just say that. I hope Ben, I hope Taylor. So you're saying no, you're saying no on Ben. 
I, I yeah, I reserve a little judgment on him just because he's getting started. But again, I hope I'm wrong. I hope both of them win slams. Well, but I say no, no to both of them. He'll have many more uh, opportunities yes. at post Novak. The point you're yes. making, Novak, he'll have many more opportunities. Taylor, that's that's harmful to him in the next few years. On the other hand, you just never know in a given slam if Novak loses to somebody else in a particular slam, and then it, the the door is open for everybody. And under those circumstances, I could see Fritz maybe pulling one off. But I also think that Fritz should be able to play top of the line tennis up till yes. 33, 34, probably. So he also has many years, again, many, a bunch of those years post Novak. And before I get just yelled at or whatever by people who listen to this, I love both those guys. I love both Taylor and Taylor's coach, Michael Russell, one of the best guys out there. Obviously he works with, with Paul Anacombe, but Michael does all the traveling. Then his his father, Brian, is all class. I mean, I hope they both win slams. I'm the biggest American tennis fan as there is. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Um, it was an interesting question. Okay, some potential future matches. Um, we're in the third round of the men, but there were a couple potential fourth round matches that um, be really intriguing. We talked about Carlos and Andy Murray. Um, Sinner versus um, Runa could possibly be one. And then Medvedev versus Zverev. Zverev still trying to find his form since that brutal injury versus Rafa and uh, and Rolagueros. I think he's still kind of feeling his way. You agree? Yeah, but I like what I saw in Dubai. You know, it was, it was a nice run, and it, it, he's he's closing in on it now. And I just get the feeling that he, he's very close. He's very close. Yeah. But that that Runa match that, that, that with Sinner, that one just. It's so enticing, so incredibly enticing. The, the progress that Runa has made up the top eight in the world now, and Sinner, we keep waiting for it, and he's he, he we we know it's going to happen for him. And we remember he had the match point against Alcaraz in that epic five setter at the U.S. Open last year. He's on the verge of it, so that match would be a joy to watch. I hope we get it. Yeah, I hope we get it too. Um, before we wrap up, any closing thoughts? No, no, I think we've covered a lot of ground. I'm looking forward to the rest of this tournament, and, and I think the women are going to be as absorbing as the men. I mean, it's going to be as, as fascinating to see how that plays out. And the other one, I just think we should talk briefly about Medvedev before we close it. Medvedev is on a three-title run. He did beat Novak in his last tournament in the semis and followed up by destroying Rublev in the final, which proved how confident he was. He looks much I'm, – I'm impressed. I keep thinking of all the discussions we, we had post-Australian when things were looking kind of gloomy for him. It's not that it was an embarrassing loss to Corda, who's a potentially great player, but it was it was just on the heels of a lot of other losses for Daniel. And he was, I think, a bit down on himself. And look what's happened to him now. So I think as we speak, I would make him the favorite to win Indian Wells. I mean, look, it's, the street could catch up to him. Sooner or later, any top player is going to lose somewhere when they're uh, winning four titles in a row is awfully difficult. But I have to tip my hat to him for the way he's played. And I think a big part of it, David, has been the temperament. So often during the losing streak and when he lost all three of his matches at the UN championships last year in Turin, he's he looks over to his coach and his wife and he's and he's he's playing the role of the victim and complaining about the bad luck that he had and. He's just sort of advertising his discontent, advertising his insecurity at times like that. That's not been happening hardly at all during the winning streak. So I, he's the guy I'm watching very closely and who I make the fit. Not that I don't think Carlos could come alive here and win this, but right now I would, I would pick Medvedev to win this tournament. 
Yes, that's well said. Well, I, you look, we've done this for a few years now, and I every year it's the same thing. I message you. I said, this is as a sports fan. People know, obviously, we we know tennis. You're you're the tennis historian. You are the man with tennis. But maybe maybe a lot of people don't know you're also just a big sports fan. This time for me is the most challenging time of year, and I say that in the in the best way. I mean, what we got the Players Championship in golf. We got March Madness. We got NBA. We got spring training. Your Yankees. I know you're keeping an eye on that. You have the Sunshine <laughs> Double. You have NHL. I don't know if I'm missing one or two, but it's a challenge for me to keep up, Steve. This is so great. Yeah, it, this is, we we all overdose at this time of the year, you know. And, and uh, but of course, I would say the main be outside of the tennis. The main passion I have is you. You alluded to it, is the Yankees, and I. We came off another disappointing law at end of the season last year, despite that that historical campaign waged by Aaron Judge, one of the great seasons, maybe the end up being the best season of his career. But uh, I, I love this time of the year most of all, but with baseball blossoming and spring training and the, and the start of the regular season around the corner. So that's I probably am more find that more gripping outside the tennis than any of the other sports, but, but by far. Well, I hope all the sports fans listening to this can can enjoy uh, this time of year because it's the best. Steve, thank you uh, again for joining. We'll, we'll do this again next week. Okay, David. Thank you very much.